Hello and welcome to May I Have This Dance, a podcast from the Human Awareness Institute, or HI, among friends. We're here because we love having real, rich, juicy conversations with people. We strip down with the people we interview, figuratively and only sometimes literally, to the undercurrent of what it means to be human through the lens of love, intimacy, and sexuality. As an organization, HI is a place to explore and embrace our humanness. Obviously, a podcast can't replace our workshops, but we do hope that in these interviews you are able to catch a glimpse of who we are and what we do. Shall I get started with the interview? Let's do it! Hiya. Hi. Hey. How are you? I feel like it's been a little while. You know, that is a hell of a question. Uh, hmm. and, it's, and it's a little bit beautiful. I know when you ask me how I'm doing that you actually want a real answer rather than a, fine, let's get I, to the point. I do. I would love a real answer. Yeah. I am feeling, I'm feeling a lot. It's been a, uh, it's been a big, big, big couple of months. Um, mm -hmm. I, I started a new job, so now I'm working super crazy hours. And on top of that, it feels like the world is kind of melting at the seams a little bit mm -hmm. um you know i live in oakland and i i am so glad for how my community shows up in protest when there is a really big scary thing happening in the world and at the same time as that it is it is it, it feels like the entire world is shifting around me you know mm -hmm. and i i i really really hope that um the protests and 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 the and some light writing that's happening is uh, having the desired effect because I think we need to see those changes um, that people are protesting for actually happen. Um, and on top of all of that, I just feel so incredibly impotent. I just don't know what to do to help. So, you know, I'm retweeting people that I think are s saying smart things. I'm, I'm trying to support in any way I can. You know, I, I, I donated some money to the um, uh, ACLU but I just feel like nothing I do actually makes a real impact. And I find that really difficult. Yeah. Yeah. I, you're speaking my heart right now. I think you're probably speaking a lot of people's hearts. And mm. uh, I like that word, the impotent. You know, um, there's, it's actually a word that's used in our mission statement, uh, mm -hmm. potency. And I feel similarly, like what can I do? And I, I have never been more proud than I am to today to work with high, uh, yeah. and to work with an organization. I, you know, I spent a good amount of this week. I mean, we're, we're recording this on a Thursday and it has felt like at least 95%, if not 98% of my time this week has been spent crafting letters and responses and listening and having important conversations. And uh, marketing's pretty much just been on pause. It's like, nope, that's not important right now. Um, yeah. It's important is that we, we pay attention and we hear and we recognize and we're, we become aware of our fellow humans. And so, yeah, and my heart's heavy too. I'm feeling it. And I spent a good portion of the morning with a friend of mine, my best friend since childhood is a person of color and it's heavy, you know, and one of the things that came through that conversation that really struck me was her fear, you know, that, uh, I think the fear has always been there mm. and her, her pain has really always been there. We've had a lot of conversations over the years, but 
you know, as tensions build up and it, it you know, it's kind of like the, the wound that's been festering that now is oozing and needs attention and it demands attention and, yeah. um, it, it's painful. It's a painful point. And, uh, so just being with her fear was, was intense and also felt like exactly the right place to be yeah. this morning. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I saw that Hi actually shared a list of, I think, eight books that are, that are kind of mm-hmm. like stuff worth knowing, stuff worth learning. Yeah. And I realized I've only read one of them mm-hmm. and I set myself a goal to read four by the end of the year, mm-hmm. put them all on my Kindle. And oh, it is something like, it, it feels like it's, it feels like it's not nearly enough, but I also don't want to burden um, the people of color around me with educating me. That doesn't feel fair either, you know? Exactly. Yep. Um, so yeah, I'm, I don't know. Um, it feels like whatever I do, it isn't enough, but the little I can do, I think I just have to do and, and hope that in some way it has a, as an opportunity to make a difference. Absolutely. You know, I think one of the most wise things I've read in the last few days was from a friend, a person of color from my college years wrote, to my white friends, thank you for all that you are doing. Thank you for the Facebook posts. Thank you for reading and asking questions. My request is that you slow down enough to make a plan for the long run. You know, how can you pace yourself Mm. such that you don't burn out, such that, you know, going hard right now is great, but if it prevents you from staying engaged long-term, then it doesn't really help anything. And I thought that was really wise advice. Yep. How do we stay engaged over time and how do we do a little bit over a long period of time such that it amounts to much more than we could ever do in a short amount of time 100 percent. yeah thank you for sharing your heart it feels good to connect with you a little deeper and and hear how you are i so appreciate you yeah do we have a podcast today as well <laughs> we do <laughs> we have a really special podcast today uh we're halfway through the season today and what season two this was our our middle point and we have someone really special which is kimball lane who happens to be the executive director for the human awareness institute yeah i'm actually i've been really excited about this interview because um she joined she joined relatively recently didn't she yeah like nine months ago she keeps saying she's birthed a baby (laughs) (laughs) nice but i love how we're we're not just getting into her visions for what high is doing i mean we did do that too but i got to learn a lot more about who she is as a person and what her personal journey has been and how she ended up being called to be part of high and to eventually lead high and i think that was a really wonderful thing to be able to talk to her about. Yeah, I agree. We got a good sense of who Kimball is at her core and the life experiences that have led to her life philosophies. And I think we found, I felt more than ever that she really is an amazing fit for High because all of who she is is so aligned with High's mission. And this podcast really starts to highlight that. I think it just embodies so much of what I love about the org as well. You know, it's authentic, it's deep. And um, there was such willingness to kind of get into it and to kind of step outside the box a little bit. Absolutely. Shall we hit play? You know what? Let's dance. Kimball, thank you so much for joining us for this interview. And uh, I wonder if you would start with um, telling us uh, your name, where you're calling from, and what your uh, pronouns are. Sure. So my name is Kimball Lane, and my pronouns are she, her, hers. And I am talking to you right now from Oakland, California. Well, that is wonderful. I am also in Oakland, California. 
It's a small world, it turns out. It is a small world. Wow. <laughs> and I'm also joined here with Kate. Hi, Kate. Hi, everybody. I'm from calling in from Denver, so I'm a little farther out than you two. I even you out in terms of the world <laughs> scope. <laughs> nice. So, Kimball, I've been super looking forward to um, having you on our podcast. Um, and maybe to help give people a little bit of context, um, uh, Kimball, what do you do for a living? Um, well, I am currently the executive director for the Human Awareness Institute, and I came here via um, having started with High back in 2012, being a participant, and my career was in social change and uh, organizational transition, and I've been doing that as a consultant uh, from here in Oakland for the last 25 years. Mm. And Kimball, you come to us with so much to offer. I feel like Kimball and I work very closely on a team together, and I've just been so moved, really, by your leadership and your vision. And I, High is already in such a different place than it was nine months ago. So I'm, I'm so grateful to have you here, and it's really fun to get to interview you. I'm excited to get to know you a little bit deeper as a person. And um, as I was reflecting on this interview, I kept coming back to, I just, I want to know about your experiences related to love. And High's mission statement is creating a world of love and acceptance. And I'm just curious how those words and those big broad buckets of important meaning resonate with you and, and how love has been a theme in your life. Will you speak a little bit to that? Sure. You know, I think um, for me, the word love has had such a, a morphed definition over my lifetime. And, you know, really at its basis, I didn't get it when I was young. I really didn't understand. It almost felt like this word that people would throw out and it seemed like so kind of, for lack of a better word, California woo-woo. <laughs> um, <laughs> like this love thing and, you know, and, and it's also seemed so complicated that looking at relationships that I'd been in or watching other people's relationships or marriages and people would talk about love and, and there were all these things that seemed to stand in the way of love, that it felt as though there was something that was so far out of reach that, um, and, and and thus so big. And in the arc of my life, what I've realized is it's actually just the opposite, that it's really so easy and it's so accessible and it's so prevalent that we just make it complicated. Um, it's almost like for a lot of my life, I was like looking for a way for it to be unattainable and it was there all along. Um, mm. And it's so fundamental to who we are. So um, I'm going to work a little bit backwards, but I um, I went to India, oh, about two years ago now, and I went to a town called Rishikesh. And it was a, a culmination tour of probably a couple of decades of work that I've been doing around love. And I finally decided after all this time of thinking I might get a tattoo that I landed on the one that I wanted. And it is a, it is a, a, a phrase in um, Hindu, 
in Sanskrit, and it means it's aham prema, and it means I am divine love. And I had done that chant for two weeks, and I realized that is the tattoo I want. And so now I have a tattoo on my wrist saying ahem prema. But the journey to get to that place was long, and it was... uh you know, there was a lot to it and a lot of things that I had to get through in order to get to the place where I really understood what love was for me and for others. Mm. I I just, I'm blown away by that story of the tattoo. I'm delighted to hear that. I think that's beautiful. And tell us a little bit about the journey. Where did you begin? When did it become a conscious effort to understand and redefine love for yourself? Well, um, I think first of all, it's, uh, it's, you know, something for me to kind of come out and say that I am, um, I identify as a lesbian Hmm. and in my journey, uh, I think everybody's journey is very unique. It doesn't matter who you love, but how you love and what love means inside of you. And, um, when I was in high school and younger and in college, I was a lot in a lot of angst um, I felt as though love had to look a certain way and had to be a certain thing and it had to be under a certain construct and constraint. And I felt very out of sorts because it didn't feel right for me. And I tried and tried and tried to work within this box that um, society and people told me that I was supposed to be in. And I did pretty well. Um, and I was engaged Mm -hmm. to be married and I, uh, had a lot of, um, of, you know, people that I dated and men, and I just thought, okay, it's something wrong with me. And I realized that, no, it was something wrong with the definition for me and that it wasn't my definition. And so I went on a, on a journey to discover myself and I, I came out of the closet, as they say, um, before I ever kissed a woman, but I knew inside of myself that that's what it was for me. And I came out when I was in my early twenties. Um, I had been a, in a sorority of all things. I'd been president of the sorority. I had done all of this stuff that, you know, kept me in the closet because of the social image of what coming out would look like and potentially losing my friends and my family. And it was all in my own head and it was fear. And I don't want to dismiss those folks who've had a much more difficult journey in their transition into becoming who they really are when it comes to love. Some people have really, really had it hard and they've lost their family, they've lost their friends, they've lost their community, they've been attacked, they've been beaten up. I didn't have that. Um, And so I see myself as very privileged in my journey around it. But when I did come out and I finally found my voice and who I was, it was an amazing belief. And it was an amazing walk and journey for me to really see what the possibility of truly loving someone, someone that I really loved, not because I was supposed to love someone in a certain way that someone else dictated, uh, was a fabulous opportunity and a fabulous way of them walking in the world that opened me up to so many other doors that I think are um, an incredible, incredible ways of being in the world that. Um, 
I wish other people had. And um, it makes me very excited to be with High because of the opportunity to be able to help people see love in a way that is really meaningful for them in their individual journey. I was sitting here feeling a whole bunch of anxiety about your your feeling like you had a pressure to be uh, or, or, or act in one type of way while knowing within yourself that that wasn't how you wanted to be or how you wanted to show up in the world. Um, that sounds like it would have been a really intense journey. Was that a, was it a gradual process for you or was that something that you just kind of woke up one day and just <laughs> at lightning from clear sky knew, <laughs> knew what your answer was? Yeah, no, it was a very big journey. It was a big journey. I, um, in just one way, I, I, when I was in high school, I was, I had contemplated suicide. I, um, was very depressed. I, I bit my nails down to the nubs as long as I could remember, like to the point in which they were bleeding. Mm -hmm. And the day I came out and the day I accepted myself for who I was and that it no longer mattered really what anybody else thought or wanted me to do, that I then reclaimed my life for what it was, I stopped and I haven't bit my nails since. Wow. And the the depression the anxiety the fear all dissipated and i don't i don't want to diminish that in any way because this is so very common in the gay and lesbian and queer community of people who are facing extreme um fear and anxiety and suicide rates are high and there is um so many people out there that are getting abused and teased and bullied. And we are so much farther ahead. I think that the generations coming up have so many more opportunities for support than people of my generation, which is fabulous. Mm. And it's still there. And there's still a lot of pressure to love a certain way and be a certain person. And I I realized that for me, even coming out that this box from one box to another, um, that I, in order to find myself, I almost had to reject and resist society as a whole because mm -hmm. I couldn't find a way in being in both. And, um, and that transition had to happen, that I had to be in a place where I could be with other people who got it and were like me. And for me to be comfortable in my own skin and to be in that process was a really, really important transition. And on the other side of it, uh, and I did it in many ways on my own, and then I found support. And now people can find support and be with other people in their transition. And I think that's a really important difference for just the human psyche. Yeah, absolutely. Would you be open to sharing a little bit about um, what your path was towards finding high and what you found when you when you got here? Oh, you know, I um, high came along at just the right time. Um, so my path is I had done consciousness work and transformation work for a large number of years. I've been involved in a couple of other communities 
here in the Bay Area and elsewhere. Um, I was a, a coach. I went through Coaches Training Institute and I'm a certified coach. And so through um, a variety of organizations, I had done facilitation and I've been a participant. And the the transformation of realizing my own sexuality, um, I think for me, really opened up the possibility of everything else. It calls to question everything that I knew. And so going into consciousness work and being a part of a community like Hi gave me another opportunity to really look and examine a lot of the institutional beliefs of what should and looking at, well, what could or what is right for me. And um, I, I think in some ways, claiming my sexuality has is, is giving me a huge amount of freedom. And so when I came to high back in 2009, no, I'm sorry, it was 2012. Um, I was, I was already set on a course of wanting to explore further what was inside of me around love and intimacy and attraction. And, um, I was really pretty clear about the sexuality part. And yet I come to find out, well, maybe I literally wasn't, um, Mm -hmm. and that I had put myself by identifying as a lesbian into another box. And what does that look like in saying I can make my own rules and not have a term for it and not have a word for it? I, I'm so resonating with you and, and so appreciating you. I have a similar experience of high. I knew from a young age that I was attracted to both men and women, but felt really uncomfortable with the label bisexual. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I you know, for whatever reason. And I felt ironically like so uncomfortable with the label and then guilt about my discomfort with the label because it felt like, mm-hmm. well, if I'm not claiming it, then am I, you know, just presenting as heterosexual and and um, leaning into that privilege. And High offered the opportunity to re-examine that guilt and look at, you know, this term, t- terms and boxes, they mean something. They're important. You know, they're how, how we come to understand ourselves. And I actually ended up liking and identifying the term pansexual a lot better and, mm-hmm. um, and heteroflexible a lot better. And it's just, it's, it's empowering when we find labels that mean something to us, but there's also that the other side of that, of that, the labels, even if they're technically more accurate can be limiting. And I, I really resonate with that message that you just shared. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think the labels are important to try on and see within that, and I don't necessarily like you like the word label, but to try on that that place within ourselves to find what parts of it are true and what parts of it aren't. What is true for me is I love women. I love women. <laughs> I love the shape of women. I love, you know, what, you know, women, how they look, how they sound, how they feel. That's my attraction. That's what turns me on. And I love people who have an amazing brain. And I love a lot of things about a lot of people. Um, And that I think also is what high has brought for me as well as being presented with so many people who I can see deeply into their souls and their hearts. And that a lot of other things just wash away. And that the idea of love that high brings that isn't just sexual 
um, that is the sensual, that is the seeing someone for who they are as to how they walk in the world, to have the compassion for one's journey and to love people through it because everybody is the place where they need to be and everybody is having pain or challenges or happinesses and we are such dynamic beings. But to stay in a place of love, um, those are the boxes that I think um, get created and then get broken down so that we actually are all in balance with one another when we really find out what love definition is. That's okay. what I love about high. Yeah. Yeah. I I wonder how you'd feel about talking a little bit about your current relationship. Sure. So my um, my current relationship is um, it's relatively new. Uh, so we met, um, almost a year and a half ago and we met at a consciousness workshop, uh, transformation workshop. Um, and in many ways it is just what I said. We, I don't, we've both discussed this, that we probably wouldn't have dated if we just met each other on the street or in probably any other scenario. Um, it's our, it was our ability to see one another and go really deeply into consciousness work and strip away all of the things that we put and labels onto one another and um, really get vulnerable right from the very, very beginning and to see each other's heart. And it set up a, an amazing foundation for a relationship. And we communicate really well um, and, uh, we're, we're so connected on so, so many spiritual and, uh, psychological and emotional levels beyond just the, the sexual attraction. And, um, it's, it's really a yummy, juicy, uh, thoughtful, supportive relationship. Um, she does live in Chicago um, and I live here, so there is this distance thing. Pesky <laughs> <Yeah>, distance thing. <laughs> that distance thing. And I started off and I said, I'm not interested in a long distance relationship. And she said, well, I'm not interested in a relationship. And I said, well, so what about sacred energy? And she's like, oh, let's try that out. So, um, and that's how it unfolded. And it was really lovely. Yeah. <laughs> Sacred energy. What, what is that to you? How did that spark a relationship? Is it, a, and especially from long distance, I think I probably would have imagined <laughs> that a little differently. <sighs> well, we were still in person at that point. Okay. She comes here for uh, a couple of months, uh, snowbirding. So she was just heading back, but I, um, you know, I think one of the things that I've really learned about relationships that, and, and, this happens, I think, more easily in um, relationships that are out of the societal norm, um, which is that you, there are no rules. There's no pre-prescribed rule of who should be or you should be or, you know, somebody's supposed to take out the garbage and the other person's supposed to cook dinner or whatever that might be. So you have to start talking about, well, who are you in this? Who do you, who are you? What do you like? Um, what sparks you? 
What are the things that you gravitate to? So there's a fundamental question and answer exploration that makes no assumptions um, or fewer assumptions about who the other person is. And that's what's also really exciting. So that every relationship, when I talk about relationships with, with my friends or with my clients, it's if you get to the fundamentals of who you are and be really curious all the time and not make assumptions about the other person, relieve them of the social pressures of definition and really ask the person what they want and who they are as they walk through the world, the relationship becomes as unique as the individual. It doesn't look mm -hmm. like any other relationship. And that's the part where my partner and I get jazzed because I know that there will never be another relationship like it. And so mm -hmm. I honor it and I cherish it and I hold it very very tenderly and with so much sacredness because it is a co-creation that um, I can't create with anybody else either. There's no way. And so it's so beautiful what we get to create with one another. And mm -hmm. I, I hope for everybody else to be able to look at their partner and understand the co-creation that they have as well. I, I love that. I, read one time that the relationship dies when the curiosity dies, you know, that the longer we stay curious and ask questions and, um, you know, when we, when we assume we know the other person before us, you know, we've been with them for years or, uh, we think we know everything there is to know. We, we lose something really important, which is the fact that this person is ever evolving and, and with the curiosity comes the spark of, of connection. Uh, so yeah, I'm resonating with that. Mm -hmm. Are there any aspects of what you've taken from your journey with through high that have really benefited you in the development of this new relationship? Or are there any values that you bring forward and, and that has served you in relationship? Oh, so many. Um, you know, high for me has been really a, um, an opener to a lot of the curiosity as well. Like just in, in, my ability to look at myself in choice and my um, being with my own voice and my own power and um, surrendering to someone else in their power and needs um, around you know, compromise. Um, and, and I think that there's a lot of things that we at High talk about in workshops through the screen of sexuality um, that is important and that we, um, the relationship component that we have with ourselves first in our ability to love ourselves and to see ourselves as whole people the difference between the being of someone and the doing of someone. I, I might be able to, to, I might do something that is not particularly attractive. Um, but who I am as a being is still attractive. And I think that that journey of, of self exploration through also the screen of being in relationship is absolutely invaluable. We are to me, um, unless we're sitting on a mountaintop, by ourselves, you know, uh, navel gazing, we're in relationship. 
we're in relationship with a male person and the grocery store person and our family and our friends and how to be in communication and in love with others, no matter mm -hmm. who they are, and that we can see one another's heart right from the very beginning. And that that's the thing that is the attractiveness, not what they wear or um, how much money they have or the car they drive or where they went to school or some of these trappings that we get caught in. That to me is the lessons that high brings and finding our deepness with one another in love. It's so beautiful. It's a really, really beautiful what comes up in the workshops. Yeah. Knowing all that you do now, what might you say back to your younger self in her early 20s as you were grappling with coming out and, and also just with being who you are, your human being in your early 20s and with love, what might you say to her? Oh, that's a good question. Um, let go of the fear. To let go of the fear. Okay. Um, much of the time where the resistance is and the fear is, is the door that one is to walk through and where the lessons are. And when I was younger, I held my world very tightly. I tried to control it um, through fear and through the idea that the world wouldn't like me. You know, as a woman, it was so important that I be liked and um, otherwise labeled, you know, a bad word. Um, mm -hmm. And I was afraid of that, especially in the working world, right? You get up the ladder and all of a sudden you look around and you're the only woman standing and you know, unless you're really nice, <laughs> um, then you can get carved out pretty quickly. And um, I realized that in my need to succeed and my need to uh, be a part of the predominantly male-dominated world, that I cut off my femininity. And so if I look back and I talk to my younger self, it's to stay with my feminine because she has a lot of strength and to be myself with my own voice and not be so worried about what other people think about me, um, who I love, what I wear, um, how I say what I say. Um, and but to continue to see the world through love. It really is to me so fundamental. It really does just come down to love. It's that simple. Yeah, that is, that is wonderful, Kimball. I am, um, I'm struck by so many of the things you're, so many of the topics you're, you're brushing by here. And I think one of the things that I, that hit me particularly hard was your, your description of, of losing touch with your femininity. And I guess the way that, that that struck me was the thought that uh without getting too political about <laughs> current <laughs> leadership yeah uh you know we've had 45 presidents who've been male uh-huh and if we somehow end up with the next 45 presidents being female that takes us to the year 2200 <laughs> um I would be super in for that. <laughs> I guess I guess the question that I kind of have is like, where do you think your the pressure to leave your femininity behind came from? Yeah. Like, and is that is that still a thing that you are experiencing today, or or is that 
has there been some shift in that over, over the course of your career? Yeah, this is a... So my name is Kimball Lane. I have no middle name. And Kimball is a gender neutral name. I've known more men by the name of Kimball than women. And my mother gave me that name specifically because it was gender neutral. Hmm. That she came out of an era for which women could be a secretary, a nurse, or a teacher. And that um, women didn't have a lot of rights or places in the world to work or a lot of choice as to what they could do. And she believed that and wanted to give me as many opportunities to succeed in the, in the kind of hierarchical male dominated arena of work. And, um, she put Atari's in my hand. She wanted me to play sports. She wanted me to have all the hand-eye coordination and, and, you know, teamwork and all of those things to give me any possible leg up for success in the world that she thought I was going to be moving into. So some of this is standing on generations of women before me who did not have the opportunities. I mean, it was, it was only in the 1990s that women couldn't be fired for wearing pants to work in California. I mean, this is, this isn't that long ago. Hmm. And, um, and I've held some pretty significant leadership roles in my lifetime. I've been extremely privileged and I, in order to play the game, I was told and taught how to do it through what was the perception of the lens of male, masculine. Um, and I use the word masculine and feminine because I don't necessarily see it as as genitalia anymore. I see it as an archetypal energy. And when I work with a lot of my clients um, and I see women who are just devastated in the work environment, it's that they're trying to continue to be something that they're not completely in the world of, they have cut off their feminine, that they've, they've felt as though they've had to put their masculine side forward. They've had to put that hierarchical, goal-oriented, um, structural dynamic in play. And that has a role, but the feminine side, the part of themselves that they cut off is the part of the heart and the community and the bringing people forward who need a little extra support or to bring ideas forward that may not necessarily be popular, but have the right to be heard and to bring all voices forward in the development of community. And I think that this for me is especially at high, the part where all of my lives kind of converge of, you know, I've had a lot of experience of business and I've had a lot of experience in budgets and finance and a lot of goal oriented business building things. But the place for high for me that gets really juicy is that it meets community. It meets the love and the heart and the place of bringing people in and seeing them for who they are and the authenticity that people can have in an organization like high is incredible. And that's the part that I want to foster. And that's the part for me, the feminine side that I cut off in my 20s that it took me, you know, the, the next number of, of decades um, to recultivate. 
And I found that at high. I was I went through a lot of my levels specifically looking to reincorporate my feminine and mm -hmm. and applying that to my position at high has been so gratifying for me because I feel like I'm more authentic as a leader than I've ever been. Mm -hmm. Kimball, I think there's a lot of things that could potentially be considered radical about high, but uh, one of the things that's been the most true for me is exactly what you're speaking to, which is that being an employee of high, it's been the most unique experience of uh, employmentship, of being a team member where I'm fully embraced and seen and cared for. And yes, you know, is it important that I get my work done? Sure. But it's just as important that I, my colleagues check in and share compassion and share awareness of what's happening in each other's lives. You know, I, after a certain amount of time, I, I had grown close to Jason Weston, who is a facilitator at high and, you know, he was my boss before Kimball. And he would say, I love you. You know, thank you for all your work. I love you. And signing off Zoom. And I, I had a friend one time say, was that your boss that just said that? And, and I said, yeah, because we don't have this, um, we're not ascribing to this cultural idea that just because you work together, you can't have deep relationships. And just because you work together, you can't see the human being sitting in front of you and and the emotion that's really true and and authentic in any given moment because I think we stuff that away you know I I'm here I'm professional which means I'm kind of a robot I don't have feelings or thoughts or perspectives or a life um, so I I resonate with what you're saying and I um, I want to use this as a launching pad to ask you you know you you just said this is the most satisfying and fulfilling role of leadership. And part of that is because you're able to reclaim your full femininity. My question for you is, you know, in this role, where do you see high going and, and what are the elements that you want to bring forward and nurture in this organization to continue to bring love to the forefront? Do you have any vision to be willing to share? I um, I think the foundational pieces uh, we just talked about, and I love what you said about that, Kate, and um, it is so important. And, and high as an organization and a, and a community at the same time that these um, the people all around the world are in connection with one another through the lens of love and respect and authenticity and inclusion, and that um, my, I'm really committed to the mission. I'm really committed to a world where everyone can see, be seen for who they are and respected as a result. And that underneath a lot of what um, we're seeing in the world today is the need for that love and that respect. And if there's ever a mission that I've been behind, it's this one that I believe is can really change the world. And mm -hmm. I know people say that a lot, um, but I've also worked with a lot of organizations in social change. And this to me is the one that if, if um, to get to the other side of this era and this time that we're in, it's this one. And the goal that I have of reaching 50,000 hearts a year, some people are like, oh, that's a nice goal. Um, but what that means underneath is that 50,000 people are being touched with love, that they're being seen, that they're being held, that they're, they're being told, I love you. 
and not just because of the work that they do, but because of who they are in the world, walking through this world and the, and the person and the being that they are. And that's how we change the world. Mm. Um, and that to me is what is so very, very important. I don't see this as a workshop organization. I see this as a mission. I see this as a way that we can create a completely new paradigm and change the fabric uh, um, of our communities and the world at large. And it's, it's a big hurdle, but it's important. That makes a lot of sense, uh, Kimbo. When I hear you say social change, um, there are so many potential things to grab a hold of there. <laughs> and um, I am, I am even just thinking about that. I, I, how do you decide where to start? How do you decide where to uh, focus your attention? Yeah. You know, and all the organizations out there, when you think of what, how many missions, um, there's a lot of, of, of say, um, social change, organ whether it's the Red Cross or Boys and Girls Clubs, which I've worked for both of those, or um, environmental organizations or children's uh, rights or domestic violence um, agencies. All of these movements, this change movement has started with an idea. Um, and that idea is predicated on somebody wanting something to change for the better. This is, this is what the hope is all about. This is what brings humanity forward, is that the constant work toward creating a better world than the one that we have currently. Um, and little incremental changes is what gets us there. One person at a time. Um, and one person then attaching to another person with the same idea. I can't do it on my own. Um, none of us can. We do. It does create a community. And that's the fundamental piece, I think, for High that's so incredible is that there is a community of really dedicated people who are participating in supporting one another and being there for one another. We've had deaths in our community recently, and the uh, the coming together to support those who've lost loved ones, to help people who are moving across the country, to help people and just checking in, how are you doing, to see someone in that connection, that is the fundamental piece of what it means to be human. To And we are social beings. We are inter-reliant on one another. We have to be. We can't do it on our own. There's been this idea that, hey, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and, you know, do it on your own. Go out there and challenge the world. That's not how it works. There's nobody out there that can really survive on their own. So this movement to me, this social change arena, it starts with the individual and individuals coming together in community and the community growing with the same values of love and acceptance. Kimball, I'm just so blown away by you. I, I consistently uh, find you to be exceptionally articulate and inspiring. And I feel like in this conversation, we've also gotten to know a little bit more of you on your inner, you know, on the inside, uh, your story and your vulnerability in that. And I'm just so grateful to you. Hi is so lucky to have a woman with such clarity and sense of mission. And then also your just commitment to vulnerability and authenticity is just profound. So thank you. Thank you for mm. showing up and stepping in. And 
I'm excited. I feel like high is coming to life in a way that it, uh, it's just remarkable for coming to life in all kinds of areas. And I absolutely attribute to that, to your vision and your supportive tissue that you've uh, woven throughout the organization in such a short amount of time. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I feel really seen um, and held in that. That really landed for me, Kate. Thank you so much. And thank you for your time and energy and everything that you're bringing forward. Absolutely. We're a good team. (laughs) And we have one question to wrap things up here. We're out of time. Um, We have one. Oh, it's my favorite. Last question. Uh Uh-oh. Kaya, do you want to do the honors? (laughs) Sure. Hey, Kimball. um, I love asking people this question. And that question is, what is the one song that you cannot not dance to? Um, Wow. (laughs) Um, Well, I have to confess, I'm more of a singer than I am a dancer. So you'll catch me singing most of the time to anything on the radio. But the dance song, I think, finally, finally, it has happened to me. You know that one? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. I think, I think you're the first person who's actually been willing to break out in song for that. So I appreciate that. <laughs> so. Well, it's such a pleasure. And as always, Haya, I adore doing this with you. Thank you, my partner in crime. And Kimball, um, thank you. Thank you for being here. And we will, I think listeners, you know, if we want to find Kimball, she's at www.high.org. And Kimball, did you want to say anything else about your coaching practice? If people would like to find you there? Um, sure. So it's Kimballlane.com uh, and it's three L's in the middle. And my specialty is really working with people who are in transition life, business, or otherwise. And, uh, you know, folks will come to me with a very specific need, but I will tell you, it comes back to life and how we walk through it. So um, I really enjoy and love my clients and I love to see the progression that they make in their lives toward love and success and however they define it. And I love being a partner with my clients in that. Awesome. Thank you. All right, everyone. Take care. Thank you, Kimball. Thank you. Take care. Thank you very much, everyone. Well, that's all for this episode. Thank you for listening. For more information about the Human Awareness Institute and to learn more about our workshops, please visit our website at hi.org. That's H-A-I dot This show was produced by my wonderful co-host, Kate Gillespie. And it was edited and co-produced by my equally delightful co-host, Haya Camps. Our introduction music is called Dance With Me, and it is performed and produced by our wonderful High Workshop participant, Gypsy Jack Van Brie. It was a pleasure to have you with us. See you soon. Ciao.